Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Is that not right? Amen. I tell you what, it's, um, I was talking with another friend, another pastor friend, and um, I, I said, you know, we preach a message or we preparing a message, and this one is on betrayed and abandoned about Jesus in his arrest in the garden, how he's betrayed by Judas and arrested and, and by the religious leaders, but the Roman guards in, in particular, and abandoned by his followers. And I, and I said, as we prepare messages, and I was talking about, you know, they, they left Jesus. Something bad went happened, and they left. And in how in this life, oftentimes, we'll get to this in a minute, but we, even the faithful believers, bad things happen and we turn our backs, we, we leave church or we leave our spiritual walk. I mean, maybe not forever. I mean, if you're truly saved, certainly not forever, but we, we, we stray. And, of course, we know that God wants to use trials and tribulations in this world to draw us to him. The devil wants to use trials and tribulations in this world to drive us from him. And as I was preparing this message, trials and tribulations came upon us this week. And I told my friend, I said, never ceases to, to amaze me or to fail about how when you're about ready to deal with something about how you don't give up even in the face of storms or shocking events or the unexpected and then Landon had some blood pressure issues, and Ella had kidney stone issues, and hospital things, and all these things. I said, it never ceases to amaze me how in preparing a message, God just kind of says, okay, let's see if you really mean this. Is this really what you're just preaching, or is this really what you believe? And, and I do believe, and life is worth the living, not because of the things that we face in this life, but because he lives and lives inside of us. Hope you understand that. Hope you continue to understand that. Hope you understand that a little better as we preach this message. But if you would, hold your Bible up over your head and hold it up high and say along with me, this is the Word of God. I will read it. I will believe it. I will obey it by the grace of God. Let's read this passage again. In chapter 14, again, beginning in verse 43. Again, remembering the word immediately and immediately, the idea of they had just got done praying and Jesus had just returned to his followers and said, all right, the previous verses, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And immediately... And immediately, he said, verse 42, he says, rise up, let us go. He that betrayeth me is at hand. Verse 43, and immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, 
and with him a great multitude of swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young men laid hold on him. This, of course, the account of Jesus and his arrest, his betrayal, his abandonment there in the garden. And I want you to hear this message, betrayed and abandoned. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, I pray once again that you would help us. Father, to understand what your son went through but therefore also to understand that you and your son, your spirit, know what we go through. And Father, I pray that we would learn the lessons of this passage, that we would apply this to our lives, so that we would not be the ones that would abandon you, we would not be the ones that would betray you, but Father, also when we feel abandoned and betrayed, that we would respond as you would have us respond. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's not a person here, or even in the sound of my voice, for those who may be listening or watching our live stream or our video or our audio that we do afterwards, that has not or is not currently or will not yet deal with the feeling or the actual event, literal experience, of being betrayed and abandoned. If you, bad news is if you have not yet experienced that, in this life you're at some point in time going to feel or literally experience being abandoned and betrayed. It happens. If you have before, bad news, chances are, you're going to encounter something like that again. But there is hope. In this account of what Jesus did in response, in this account of what Jesus did in the being abandoned and betrayed and going to the cross, there, there is hope that knowing that our holy, loving God knows exactly what we are going through because his precious son experienced our pain, our sorrow, our grief. And even as he was here, betrayal and abandonment. The Bible says that we have a God who is feeling, who is tempted or went through things just as we do. Everything. There's nothing that can happen to you, nothing that you will encounter that God does not know exactly what it is you're going through. There's an ad that's been going around on TV. It was a big Super Bowl ad and caused a lot of controversy. And some got really upset and some were really excited by it. I was, I had a different approach. It was like God gets us. 
Jesus gets us. And Jesus doesn't just get us, he's there for us. And some have taken that and say, well, that means this, and that's bad as far as, that's like a liberal way, like, well, he understands, and therefore it's okay when we do certain things. No, the others say, well, no, he gets us as far as he understands our hurt and our pain and our things that we deal with. And I think it can be, certainly he does, and at the same time, he doesn't give us excuse just because he understands, but Jesus isn't, doesn't just get us, he's there for us. He feels it with us. He understands. And there's hope. And, and therefore, when I read this passage, I read, I've learned to read my Bible a little differently in the last year or so. And I think that's why God has been just showing me new and exciting and just supercharging my engine, if you will, when it comes to me reading the Bible is because when we read our Bible, I've learned to do this in recent years. I've often heard people say this, but I've learned to do it to a certain extent, and I want to do it more. It's not enough. But when you read your Bible, don't just read a passage and then put it away and check up. I read my Bible today, and but reflect, consider, meditate on, what you've read. Ask questions. When you read your Bible, there ought to be things that make you ask questions. When you read your Bible, put yourself in that place. What it must have been like. Why? I mean, again, I'm not going to get into a whole uh, speech about the chosen tv series but the chosen tv series has given me a different perspective on how as i read these passages i i think i'm reading it a little bit more close to how jesus or how it was meant to be read we read on page on black and white or red and white when it's jesus words and we sometimes miss the emotion that's in it we miss the feeling of kind of like when you read a letter you're not sure it's hard to convey meaning or emotion in, in a written word because, well, they mean it this way or they mean it that way. And I understand that. And the Holy Spirit helps us. But sometimes when you see it, you're like, well, that I realize that's not inspired. But, wow, that really seems to match. And you go back and you're like, they're quoting from the Word of God, but it gives you a little different perspective. And as you dig into the Word of God and study it and you cross-reference things and you ask God to help you and you put yourself in that place, suddenly the Bible does come alive and it will help you to understand the truth of what is taking place. It will help you to understand and believe that Jesus knows what you are going through in that moment or what you went through or things that are to come that you go through. We must ask ourselves as we read God's word. I hope you learn to do this. And if you're ne never, if you've never heard it this way, and maybe you have, I hope you have. But let me say it this way: When you read something in God's word, ask yourself, why did God put that there? And why did He lead me there today? Not that you're not believing it. I believe God's word is real. But, but why did he want us to know that? Why is that 
significant. I mean, again, if God's word has been preserved for for 2,000 years, at the most recent, and certainly even going back farther than that, when you go back to Moses and the giving of the law in the writing of Genesis and so forth and so on, 3,500 years, why did God preserve that? Because he intended you to know it. Why? For a reason. Now, some of it is historical things that happened, and he wants you to know those. There's other historical things that are not written. It doesn't mean that you don't, shouldn't maybe know them, but it wasn't important enough for the Holy Spirit to inspire people to write about it and put it in here for us. But when we read something, so why is that there? Was it just so we can know what happened to him or so we can know and then therefore apply it to our lives? Why did God preserve this story, this scripture for me to read today to you? Again, some things as you read God's word, they're Bible truths, they're Bible warnings, they're promises, it's character of God, it's, it's historical things. Some things, are, some things are promises and warnings and truths and character and things that we need to know about God. Other things are historical events that took place. And not that when, like, for example, Paul is writing to the church, that literally took place, but he's not necessarily writing about historical events, he's writing things that he heard about or that he knows about or things that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write for us today. But this is both. This is a historical thing. It actually happened to Jesus, and he intends for us to know it today. And so, therefore, this is all of the above. So in this passage, what can we learn or be reminded? Well, partly this. If it can happen to Jesus, being betrayed, Denied, rejected, arrested, abandoned, it can happen to you and me. Jesus even told them, the world is going to hate hates me, and because of me, it will also hate you. Don't be surprised. I, I heard a Christian talking about something that happened in the news this past week. Uh, talking about, I'm, I'm sure maybe you've heard about this, but the shooting that took place at the parade for the Super Bowl. And the Christian said, I just can't understand why something like that would happen at a parade. I just can't understand why there would be a shooting take place at something that was supposed to be a celebration. And I said to them, I think we've reached the place now where... I've said to myself, I think we've reached a place now where we ought not to be shocked, surprised. We shouldn't have been before because the Bible talks about the fact that we live in a world of sin, in a world that's cursed by sin. We live in a world with hate and with evil. And we ought not to be shocked. We ought to understand the world is getting worse and worse and worse until the answer, the solution comes, and that is Jesus when he comes back and sets up his kingdom and puts all of it as it was in the beginning. Until then, we as Christians ought to strive to tell people about the hope of Jesus Christ and then also to teach people to live 
as Christ lived, which will make a difference in the world that we live in, but it won't put it all to end. It won't stop all the hate and all the violence and all the crime and all those things that take place, but certainly we can make a difference, but we still need Jesus. And we'll always need Jesus. In this passage, we're reminded of what happened to Jesus and what he went through. And I want us to look at the fact that there's four groups here that I want us to take a look at. And I want us to see how they apply to all of us or how they affect all of us. And so that's what I want us to look at today as we look at this literal thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Rabbi, Jesus the Teacher, Jesus the Wonderful Friend, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Miracle Doer, Jesus that had never done anything wrong to anybody now was going to be arrested and then scourged and beaten and spit on and lied on and crucified. And we need to be reminded about that. But I want you to look as we begin with this betrayal and this abandonment that we're going to focus on today that culminates in his arrest. I want us to first look at the crowd. The crowd that betrayed, the crowd that that came to arrest Jesus. The betrayer was with them, leading them. Judas, who we'd already heard about, we've already read about, about Jesus told Judas, signified to Judas rather, you are the one, the one that dips his hand with me in the sop, that's the one, and even told Judas, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. So we've already read that, and we know, looking back, we, we, we've heard, we've read, we've been taught, it was Judas. But now, here he comes leading a multitude, it says. A great multitude with sword and staves. And so I'm calling this the crowd that betrayed, and I could throw in slash arrested, Jesus. I say betrayed because the religious leaders were still betraying him. They were supposed to be the ones that would embrace him. They were supposed to be the ones that were serving the same God from which, that sent Jesus. They were the ones that were supposed to be the ones that were worshiping the Father of whose son they were now arresting. But it was a multitude that came. And, and the reason it's important for us to see this is because there were all kinds of people in this crowd. And in our world that we live in, there are all kinds of people that do betray Jesus and therefore then us. There's not a one of us that hasn't felt or literally had it happen where somebody's betrayed you, betrayed your confidence, betrayed you as far as just just stabbed you in the back. That's what was taking place here. To Jesus' face, he kisses him, embraces him, a sign of love, and it's just in mockery. And there's those of us that are here today that have gone through such a thing. And those of us here today that will go through such a thing. But the crowd that came, it can be anybody and the devil can use everybody. Because it's important that we see who was there. Well, certainly it was those that were opposed being the religious leaders, the scribes and the priests, and the, 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 uh, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, the Sanhedrin. There were Pharisees, 
there were Sadducees, there were scribes, different ones that were there. There were those that probably were indifferent, meaning also where Roman soldiers were there. Now, I'm going to explain to you how we know that in just a moment. But the Roman soldiers would have been indifferent, meaning they could care less about Jesus, but they had been, whether you want to say manipulated or ordered to go and get him. That doesn't mean they were kind to Jesus. I simply mean Romans couldn't really have cared less. They would have been mean to anybody, but they were part of this crowd. And, the, and we know that the religious leaders were there because we see the words here, they came with great multitude with swords and staves. That's important. That tells us who was there. The word swords there is talking about a short sword. It was used by the Roman soldiers in, that were there in Jerusalem. They used the short sword. The stave, We often when I read this, I think, what's a stave? We don't use that word anymore. And I get the idea of people with, you know, pitchforks and, 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 uh, and axes and different things coming with sticks and that kind of thing and coming. No, that's not what it was. The stave was a wooden club. And it was used by the temple police. So therefore there's Romans and there's Jewish law enforcement, if you will. Soldiers and police officers that are coming. And then also we know it was a cooperative effort among the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees and the Sadducees that did not get along with each other and agree on many things, but the world in general was used as devil by the devil to come in agreement to get rid of Jesus. And there are those of all kinds that may oppose us and betray us. And you say, well, I get that part. But perhaps the most painful part was it wasn't just those that were opposed to him, those that were indifferent to him, those that were the religious, religious crowd. It was a friend. I think it's important that we see here that then comes Judas, one of the twelve. Now that seems superfluous to have to label him as such. But my point is this, there are times in the world, dear Christian, that your closest one, closest friends, closest loved ones, closest church members might betray you, stab you in the back for whatever reason, family, friend. But this was one that was supposed to be on their team. This was one that was supposed to be trusted with the money. My point is this, the crowd that betrayed Jesus was made up of all kinds of people and those that might betray us are made up of all kinds of people. I want you to see the timing of the betrayal. And again, I mentioned this already, but it was immediately after they got done praying. So we looked at the crowd and they come, but the timing, and again, I want to apply this to us because I want us to respond like Jesus responded as we're going to look at in a moment. But as they came, it was a moment after a, in some ways, a spiritual victory. They had just celebrated Passover. They had just had a wonderful time of fellowship. They had just had their fried chicken and mac and cheese down in the fellowship hall with that last supper. They didn't know it was going to be the last supper, Lord's last Passover they would celebrate with Jesus, but it was. But they had just had a wonderful time, a wonderful spiritual time of Jesus washing their feet, a bonding moment. 
But it was also a difficult time because Jesus had told them they were going to they were going to leave him, abandon him. They had told him that one of them was going to betray him. They had told he had just got done telling Peter that you're going to deny me three times. And so therefore, it was a moment of victory, but also a moment of discouragement. It was a moment of spirituality of praying, but also a moment of discouragement and defeat because they fell asleep while they were doing it. My point is this, the devil can use people in this world to try to discourage and try to betray and try to oppose you at any point in time. And again, I want to say this, I say this a lot, but before we throw too many stones at Judas who came up and greeted him with a, a we would say a handshake today. Hey brother, dap up, right? We, you know, just a, maybe a, a brotherly hug. We don't really greet each other with a holy kiss anymore. But they did. And in fact, the way he says what he does, master, master, was a term of endearment. The idea of kissing him was it was a loving kiss. The fact that he says, take him away safely, was... Don't let it get out of hand. Sometimes people will betray you with good intentions. You say, did Judas have good intentions? Judas wasn't going to get what Judas wanted, and he was trying to straighten Jesus out. I think that's the bottom line. Now, the devil also had entered into him, but in the mind of Judas, he was, the reason that he fell to the trap he did to betray Jesus was because... Jesus was not doing what Jesus was supposed to do. And I think Judas was trying to straighten him out. He didn't intend, in Jesus' mind, for him to be killed and crucified. There are people that will betray you, but I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm doing this for your own good. It's not really, but the religious leaders... They thought they were trying to protect the law. They were serving their own self-interest. And sometimes we do the same thing. And sometimes we're the ones that betray what Jesus is doing in our lives. Because, no, 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 Jesus, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. God, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. God, that's not the way it's supposed to work. God, my, my son's not supposed to have blood pressure issues. God, my daughter's not supposed to have kidney stone issues. God, I'm not supposed to have a friend that dies. I'm just talking about my own life, my own experiences. God, I'm not supposed to have these problems, and I'm having them. Let me straighten you out, God. So before we throw too many stones, understand that if we're not careful, we become the one that does that, like we talked about last week. But also because this crowd was spiritually blind. Now, the religious ones should have known, but they still were not believers. They were blind spiritually. And people that betray us oftentimes are blind spiritually. This was a lost crowd. We need to understand when people do things to us, it will help you to have a Christ-like response to realize they don't know, as Jesus said on the cross, they don't know what they're doing. I want you to see the second thing, the crowd that abandoned Jesus. I, I, I want to get through this. Understand the crowd that abandoned Jesus, the ones that fled, were his 
followers. He said, well, I know that. But they were the ones that were believers. They were the ones that were the students. They were the ones that were the followers. They were the ones that were faithful. They were the ones who had served. They were the ones who had been used to do great things for God. They were the chosen few. They were just like us. They were the ones that had said, we will never abandon you. They are the ones that said, we will not deny you. They were the ones who said, we'll be willing to go to the, go to the grave for you. That's what Peter had said. That's what the disciples also all said. Yes, we say the same thing as Peter said. But here's the other thing. That crowd was made up of people like you and me. But I want you to see what their response was to the betrayal before they abandoned was Peter tried to kill somebody. Now, understand it says Peter cut, it doesn't say Peter here. It says one of them. We know from the other gospels that's Peter. Drew a sword and took a swing. Now, when you try to fight, here's the thing. I'm sure you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. He wasn't coming at him trying to, I'm going to try to slice off a piece of your ear. He was coming after his head. And here's my point. When we feel the opposition of the world, or when we feel the betrayal of a friend, we get filled up with anger. And we get filled up with sin. And we respond just like Peter did. I'm ready to take somebody's head off. I can't believe that they did that to me. Now, Jesus had already told them to flee. And if they had fled, this wouldn't have happened. He said, we're ready to come to flee. He prophesied that they would. And essentially, he was telling them, yes, run. In fact, another gospel, it says that he said, to, when they go to arrest him, if you let these go, I'll go with you. Just let these go their way in peace. He wanted them to run. But when we get so full of ourselves as Peter did, when things don't go our way, we sometimes come out swinging when we should not. Remembering this is a lost crowd. Remembering this is blind people. Remembering these are perhaps well-intentioned people to the fact of protecting the law of God. And so therefore, we, no matter what the reason is, we're being betrayed, opposed. We're not to come out in our own strength, in our own reasoning, and strive against what God is doing. And I think that's important for us to see. We're going to come back to that in a moment. This was something that God had said would happen and had to happen. Look down in the passage there. And it says, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. It had to happen this way.
And before we throw too many stones at the apostles and say, well, they shouldn't have responded that way or they shouldn't have fled, understand this. Again, that's, that, that could be us. And when we disobey God's commands, when we turn our back on what God is saying, are we not the ones that are abandoning him? You say, well, not in the way that they did. Really? I mean, it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Well, I'm trying to defend. I'm trying to fight. That's what Peter was doing, and that was the wrong way of doing it because Jesus told Peter in another gospel, put away your sword, for he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And then to protect Peter, he heals the man's ear because if he had not, then Peter most certainly would have been arrested as well and probably put to death right next to Jesus, and instead of having three crosses, there would have been four. I want you to see not just the crowd that abandoned him and see how that relates to us and how we need to be careful not to fall into that trap, but I want you to see the one that was abandoned and betrayed. I want you to see his response. I want you to see how he never lashed out. The entire time, and in fact, no matter which gospel you read. Now, in one of the gospels you read, and it says when they walked up to him, and he, they, they asked, if, basically they're making sure that was him, and he says, I am he. You come to arrest, who are you coming to arrest? We're coming to arrest Jesus. I'm he. And they all fell backwards. It wasn't that Jesus knocked them backwards. It was just they all fell down. And then they get up, and he says, well, who are you looking for? Jesus never lashed out, though. Jesus never struck out. In fact, he tells Peter, put away your sword. In fact, he tells the disciples, get out of here. Let them go. Jesus never stopped loving the entire time he was being betrayed and arrested. We get someone that cuts us off in traffic, and what do we do? Ready to start swinging our sword, right? We get the police officer that stops us for going 15 miles over the speed limit or driving too fast through a school zone and we're ready to fuss out the police officer and why don't you catch the other guy that's actually doing something, right? But that's not what Jesus did. Or we fuss out the police officer, no offense, Eddie, for pulling us for going five over or two over. Still breaking the law. Or let's say that they got it wrong altogether. What would Jesus have done? They got it wrong altogether. I heard it this week, and I'm going to repeat it now. I, I love the expression when there's a place where the religious leaders are picking up stones to stone Jesus. And he says to them, for what good deed are you stoning me? But, but here's the thing. Jesus also didn't get upset because he knew it had to happen this way. From the beginning, he said, you're going to deny me. You're going to betray me. You're going to abandon me. He knew it had to take place. When we read that verse, Jesus knew what was coming and he knew it had to happen. And there are things in your life that he knows what is coming and he knows that it has to happen for a reason and for a purpose. Nothing happens in your life that 
can't be worked to good. And God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But everything that God works in your life has a reason. You say, well, that was the devil tempting me. God has a purpose for leading you through that. And if you understand that it's all part of what has to happen, perhaps we'll be less likely to fight in our human flesh against it. Jesus never stopped loving Judas. Jesus never stopped loving the religious leaders or the Roman guards, Roman soldiers. Jesus never stopped loving his disciples that were abandoning him. Never stopped arresting, never stopped loving the one that was betraying him. Never stopped loving the ones that were harassing and arresting him. Jesus never stopped loving you and me. Even when we betray or abandon. I want you to see the fourth group and I'm done. The one in control of it all. You say, what other one was there? The one that's not named was there. No, I'm not talking about the, the, the young man. Let me just get this out of the way. The One of the oddest verses in all the Bible is verse 51. It seems so out of place. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man laid hold on him. First of all, I'm having a hard time laying hold on any naked body, man. But who was this man? Just, just to get this out of the way, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Most likely this is John Mark. Most likely the upper room where they were at was John Mark's mother's, or his, their, their home, the family home. He was still a young man, probably living at home at this point in time. Who's John Mark? John Mark was a man who would later go on a missions journey with Paul, would then leave Paul and go back home, and later Peter would pull him aside and take him under his wing, and then John Mark is the one writing this gospel that we're reading. That's who that was. And he's just kind of inserting the fact that I was there. but the other one that's not named. And here's the part that I want you to see. The one that was in control of it all. The one that was there the entire time. The one who did not flee. You see, I thought it says they all flee, fled. He's the only one that did not abandon. He's the only one that did not deny. The only one that did not betray the Son of God. And that was his father. When Jesus was all alone because it says everybody abandoned him. The father didn't. Now, wait, preacher, I thought you say later the father abandons him. The, the father has to turn his back on him and forsakes him when he's on the cross because the sins of the whole world are laid on him and he cannot look on Jesus who has all sin of all time on his back on the cross. And so for three hours, he could not look at him. And for the first time and only time in history, the father and the son were separated. But not here. Not here. 
The Father will do for you what what the Father did to his own son, what he'll never do to you. He'll never forsake you. And no matter what you go through, he will not forsake you. But here, once again, when you're going through betrayal, when you're going through abandonment, when you're going through opposition and people trying to pose what you're doing, and here you are trying to do what God has called you to do in your life, God will not abandon you. He did not abandon Jesus there. He will not abandon you or me here. The hope that we have is that we can respond like Jesus did because our Father will not leave us alone and will give us the strength and we can do as Jesus did. Go and respond by not even like a lamb to the slaughter, not even raising our voice. And I know that sounds country. No, i got to stand up for myself. That's not what Jesus did. Preacher, does that mean I'm never supposed to stand up? No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is this. There are certain things that are ordained that have to happen. And there's times that you will, I'm telling you now, the Bible's already told us, so I'm not telling you something that's not in the Bible. You will face opposition. You will face times of abandonment. You will face times of hatred and evil and sin. But God will not abandon you. And you can respond like Jesus did. The question is, will we? Now, there's only one way you can. Let me tie all this together. The only way that you can possibly respond like Jesus did and love in the face of abandonment and being stabbed in the back by the very one that was part of them or by the religious leaders who should have known or by the Roman soldiers who were really kind of indifferent in the whole thing but were part of the overall oppression. And that's if you have Jesus Christ living inside of you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you are being controlled by the Spirit who lives in you. That's the only way. And so therefore daily we have to give ourselves and say, God, I understand. You've told me, help, that it's going, these things are going to happen to me because they happen to your son. Help me never to be part of the group that's doing the abandoning. Help me never be part of the group that is doing the betraying. Help me to do, never be part of the group that is part of the opposition. But God, when it happens to me, help me respond like your son did in love. And the only way is when you truly seek to let him just fill you and control you and guide you in your steps. And when you fail in that, understand Jesus will come for you. He will, he's already forgiven you. Jesus came back. After, we read the whole thing. He's crucified. He goes, he looks at Peter, the cock crows, and, and in my mind, I don't know if this actually happened or not. Jesus kind of, they make eye contact, and Peter's just like, oh, I can't believe I did what he said I was going to do, and he's just heartbroken over it. But later, Jesus comes, and they're reconciled. Later, Jesus is raised from the dead, and he joins again with his apostles, and he comes for them. In fact, when you read the John 21, and Peter says, I'm going fishing, and they say, we're going with you. And they're all there on the water. We're going back to our own way of life. And they weren't going looking for Jesus. Even though they knew he was alive, Jesus is the one that came to them. And he'll do the same for you. It's the wonderful hope that we have, that we can have the right response. But even when we don't, God 
comes for us and has forgiven us. I pray that you see the groups that are there. Picture yourself in that group, in one of those groups, in that situation. And remember to follow what Jesus did. Oh, listen. Does it save anybody when you do that? No, but it points them towards salvation. Does it change the world? No, but it points them to the one who can. Oh, my friends, that's what we are to be doing, is a sharing with everybody despite what we go through. And by the way, that's the thing that the world will notice, is when we do the exact opposite of what they expect, what they would do themselves. And in his strength, we can. If you know him, if he's in you, if he's controlling you, won't you let him today? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Oh, God, that you would help us. Father, we need your help in a world that's so full of hate and so full of opposition and so full of people that are contrary to our way of thinking or our way of doing, but more importantly, your way of doing. God, that we would never be part of that group that, that betrays you. We would never be part of the group that abandons you, but God, that we would also respond to the betrayal, to the abandonment like you do, realizing that your Father is with us, that you'll give us the strength that we need to do the will that you have for us, and that we would surrender to your power and not our own strength. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.